Hey, it's DG, and I want to send you a ton of free marketing stuff right to your door or your inbox, whatever you want. I'm serious because look, we know how it is. One of my favorite things about doing marketing at Drift is that we are all marketers just like you. So we're marketers doing marketing to marketers. It's crazy. And one thing we know that in the B2B world, there's so much content out there. It can be hard to figure out what to read and who to trust if you're looking to grow your business. And so we put together something that I call the ultimate conversational marketing starter kit. We asked our top customers, literally turned to them and said, what resources would you give to somebody new to drift and conversational marketing? And we're packaging all that up to send right to your door for the first time for free. So that means I will send you a copy of the book I wrote with my boss, our CEO, David Can on conversational marketing. This book was an instant number one new release on Amazon in three categories, and it's already sold 10,000 plus copies to date. I'll literally send you the actual 262-page hardcover book right to your door. Also, we'll send you This Won't Scale, a digital copy of our very popular book, This Won't Scale, which is a book we wrote as a marketing team about how we do marketing at Drift. It's 110 pages. It's only been available as a hard copy, but we're making it available digitally for the first time as part of this offer. We'll also send you the Modern Marketers Playbook. You'll get a digital copy of our Modern Marketers Playbook, which is a guide we wrote with strategic insights from 35 of today's most influential marketing leaders from companies like Slack, LinkedIn, Okta, Vimeo, and more. We'll also give you the Conversational Marketing Blueprint, which is the best next step after you read the Conversational Marketing book. And it gives you a step-by-step guide for implementing and optimizing conversational marketing for your business and... It's not over. The conversational sales handbook. This is the guide you're going to need to give to your sales team to build your conversational sales strategy, aka what you do after you take everything you've learned in the book and the blueprint. All you have to do is visit drift.com slash starter and grab all this stuff right now. That's starter, S-T-A-R-T-E-R. I tried to have no Boston accent on that. Drift.com slash starter. We'll send everything right to your door or we'll literally uh, just send an email if you'd prefer that, okay? Drift.com slash starter, and I will see you hopefully there. Hey, everybody, it's DG, and I'm back with another episode of The Swipe File. Today, I have one of my favorite CMOs on the podcast with me. His name is Brian Carden. He is the CMO at a company called Fuse. You may have known him before that. He was a CMO, uh, Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer at Forrester. He was a CMO at Eloqua for four years until they got acquired by Oracle. He was a CMO at Lattice Engines. And now, like I said today, he's a CMO of Fuse. I love this conversation with Brian. He's one of my favorite marketers, favorite CMOs, marketing leaders out there. I hope you like it. Tune in. We were going to go outside, but it is uh, about 200 degrees in Boston today. So I emailed you about 20 minutes ago and said, why don't we just do it here? I think everybody was, we saved Gonzalo, we saved me, we saved you. I'm very grateful. It is, yeah. just walking over here was just a Schwitz show. Brutal. It was just terrible. It was brutal. Everybody is, was moist. So you actually told me interesting stories. Joe was one of the first episodes that we've done. You have some early Joe Chernoff stories. So I want to break into that because you were the CMO at Eloqua, 2008. You hired Joe to do PR, and this is kind of when you discovered, like, content. Well, it's so funny. I interviewed Joe very early on. He was a traditional PR guy, yeah. and I passed on him. I didn't think he was right. Yeah. Um, Did he have a beard then? 
Uh, cleaner cut. Yeah, clean, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he had a beard or not. He went through yeah. sort of different phases yeah. as he continues to. So I passed on him the first time. Didn't seem like a good fit. And the second time, I thought it was right. I love his assertiveness and his strong point of view and everything. He's not like a nod your head yeah. kind of guy, yeah. which I loved. And as I was telling you earlier, you know, he joined in a more traditional communications, PR, AR role. And then we both read Inbound by Darmesh and Brian, mm-hmm. and this is around 2008, 2009, and we just devoured it, and it totally changed how we thought about things. We were much more traditionalists, yeah. much more outbound, yeah. cold calling, all the things that the book says is just old school. It seems like a big shift. Like, do you take that, because there's a lesson in there, which I think is like, you're looking for a new channel, and you told me earlier, you have, you kind of have your group, right? Megan from MongoDB, and, yeah. and Volpe, and some others, like, is that how you get to that point where you realize you have to make a fundamental change? Because it's hard, right? Things are going well, things are working. Like It takes guts to say, like, all right, we're going to try something completely new. How do you stay on top of that? Well, that was a huge shift for us. Yeah. So we totally reinvented everything. And yeah. we had literally a change management exercise. So everyone on the team would discuss the book. We'd talk about how it would affect our role. So how would it affect the demand gen team? Mm-hmm. How does it affect content marketing? Mm-hmm. How does it affect uh, PR and AR? Mm-hmm. How does it affect uh, product marketing? Mm-hmm. So we all talked about the ramifications of the book. And we sort of changed. We realized we had to do something different. And also because it was marketing automation, we're sort of in the spotlight marketing. So if you're running marketing at HubSpot or you're running marketing at Marketo or Eloqua, there's no room for forgiveness. Like you are the role model and you're up there and the lights are on and you've got to be a role model for lots of marketers out there. The thing I loved about the, uh, the HubSpot IPO, though, it wasn't just about you guys went public and it was great success. Then you really changed an entire generation of marketers about how they thought about marketing and the role that marketing could have. And that, I think, is going to be the lasting impact. That's a great company and it'll last a long time. But I think the real impact is how has it affected an entire generation of marketers and new ways of thinking. Do you think there's a next wave? Like, are we past that wave now? Like, because I think we're past the yeah. like marketing automation. Like, that's table stakes now, right? You have it's to commodity. be commodity. It's stuff. like electricity running in the walls. Every building's got it. Everybody's even got Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the next you know level? So, what's interesting is that this is right around the time the whole Martech stack was emerging, and the thousands of Martechs that are out there right now. I don't think it's about the technology at all anymore. I think everything sort of plugs and works really well. It configures really well. I think it's going to be much more about automation with artificial intelligence, machine learning. How do you do things smarter, faster? I remember when I started my marketing career, we would review all the campaigns quarterly. And then at Eloqua, we do it monthly. And now, of course, we do it continuously. Yeah. We have a whiteboard back there. And like, so right now, you know, it's the third day of July, right? Yeah. We've planned July. But we have a team, and we built a team in a way where, like, if I walk out of this video with you with a good idea, yeah. we could go rip up that calendar and say, hey, you know we're going to do Tuesday? Yeah. Like, that, to me, is, like, what is so fun. Right. It can be hard, though, because you always feel like you're on the wheel a little bit. But We have a pretty high bar when we change something, so we like to sort of run things for a while. And because we don't have as high a velocity sale as you do, mm. so we have fewer inbounds, we have fewer. It's definitely a high-touch, our model at Fuse. You know, we have, like, a nine-month cycle from opportunity to close, so it goes quite a while. So it takes us a while to run a test to have enough conversions to see how well the A-B tests work and how well a campaign does. You've kind of always been, I guess with the exception of Fuse, you've kind of always been in marketing. Like, obviously you've been a CMO, but like Forrester. So it's interesting. Um, I was a, a career consultant. I worked for this consulting firm for years, and I was a partner there. And then we had twin boys, and I realized the life of a consultant is you never see your kids. You leave mm-hmm. Monday morning and you come back you know, on Friday. And I got a call from Spencer Stewart one day to be CMO of this big company, and I got the job. 
And so, unlike most marketers, I never grew up in a marketing organization. I was never like a marketing manager or director. I went from consultant with a bunch of slides and analysis to being CMO of a multi-billion dollar company. So it was crazy. And so I really felt like a fraud. Did you have a like, moment like, what am I like? What am I doing yeah. here? And then I realized the guy who hired me, he wanted more leadership, much more consulting and persuasion and that sort of stuff. And so it worked out great for me. What did you do at Forrester? I'm interested in. So I was head of marketing and strategy. I was one of the first customers of Eloqua. So I joined Forrester in 2008. This is after the, the bubble had burst. And a lot of the Forrester money had come from venture capital funding companies that bought Forrester contracts. And I had a great guy running U.S. marketing, a guy named Dennis Van Lingen. And Dennis was always talking to our analysts, and the analysts were covering new marketing technologies. And one of the analysts, Alana, who actually ended up being CMO of Demandware, she's terrific, uh, she had heard about this new technology out of Canada called Eloqua, you know, or Eloqua. Mm-hmm. And so we started looking at that, and so I was one of the first customers of Eloqua. And we were using it, and we gave them a lot of feedback on the product. And then four years later, they were looking for a CMO, and they called me. We love you, Brian, because you were one of the first adapters. And they needed a CMO who didn't just run marketing, but would evangelize the category. And that became a new role for me. So I was able to speak a lot to marketers and talk about the future of marketing. What do you see still? like? So you kind of came up as a CMO in that era of marketing automation, right? Yeah. What do you still see out there today? That is, like, Because I feel like there's a bunch of, as technology keeps changing, there's like this core of skills that I think people people are missing now. Like as I'm interviewing more people and growing our team and talking to more people, like I feel like everybody just wants to focus on the tools yeah. and the technology, and it feels like we're missing something else. Here's the thing he's missing. Most of my time is now spent dealing with sales issues. So marketing doesn't really exist unless the salesperson picks it up and you have the right process and the right SLAs. So we did something wrong in the beginning of Fuse. I over-instrumented the dashboards for the sales team. It's very complicated. You get some kid out of school and they're a BDR, and it's like, my God, you give them like, like a cockpit of some, right. some unbelievable jet fighter plane. Right. All they want is a clock and like a radio. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. Or you t- say like, hey, your job is to do a hundred of these things, and that's it. Right, that's it. Yeah. And so we have to simplify it. So I assume they're in love with all the technologies I am. So we got, you could go here for searches, you go here for who came to the website, and go here for who's engaged here, yeah. and go here for this, and we got this over there. It's like unbelievable. And at the end of the day, they weren't looking at anything. They were too confused. It's back to your point. Just do this every day. That's a great lesson. I never like think of that, right? You, which is, which is kind of why, like, to come right into a new job, right? You're 22, 23, and you got to figure. You got to look at all these things. What do you mean searches, dashboards? I've never looked at any of this stuff yeah. in my life. So what? How quickly did you realize that that was not the right? Pretty fast. Yeah. Pretty fast. So it happens that our BDR sit right very close to Wait, me. Wait, you own those dashboards? Like it wasn't sales and then sales ops? No, we and... own them. So the BDRs report into sales, but we own, you know, things that they look at, all the plugins that go into the CRM, and so we own all those things, so all the tools that they have. What happened was I would uh, sit next to a BDR and just say, I just want to see what you do. And they got very nervous because the CMO, that. you know, like, what do you do? Yeah. And so I didn't tell them what to do. I just observed right. what they did. And you're like, I'm not judging you. I just literally, this is what I want. I want to watch. I just want to like watch and see how you spend. Yeah. And I realized that they're not prioritizing things properly. They're being pulled in a billion directions. So the salespeople that they report to, we have about a three to one ratio, one BDR for three sales reps, that the sales rep says to focus on these accounts. And they're being distracted all the time. So they get doing something and then they get pushed over here. Then they get pushed over here. The priorities are always changing. So they need to get a true north. Like, here's what you do every day and it's super simple. So most of my time now was spent on the integration between sales and marketing and not on the technology at all. In fact, I find most CMOs have 
put in too much marketing technology that they're not using. And so we're a good example of that. The few technologies that we put in that we can afford, but that's not the scarce resource. The scarce resource is not the dollars. It's time. Because mm. you can always make a case to, you know, the CFO, to the board, whoever, if I can show you we're going to keep growing, why would you not keep giving me more budget? Right. Yeah. I can always get more budget, but we can only onboard so many technologies a quarter or a year. Yeah. And then about a year ago, I was going through the audit of all of our technologies, and they said, how are we doing with this one? Who was using it. And then I log on, I say, no one's logged on in six months. Well, I like, want to go, go into that. So you did an audit. Who owns that? Do you have an ops person? Yeah, that? we have marketing ops person okay, so who are awesome. Do you say, hey, marketing ops team, I want to know our entire tech stack, top to bottom, what we're paying for? Yeah, so I have that in a, in a system, so I know exactly what we're paying for everything, and okay. we have about 28 technologies right now. And so we're pretty candid. So at my company, they gave me a private office, but I'm never in there. I sit with my team. You, sit, you still sit with the BDRs. I sit with, <laughs> I love sitting with the BDRs. You learn so much. I know. No, that is important. I didn't want to skip over. That is a really important lesson, which is like in, in this world of hacks and tips and tricks and spreadsheets and numbers and hey, let the numbers tell a story, like to actually go and sit there. Yeah. Like I, I still find the best... The most underrated thing for me learning here has been sales team sits down there just going through a couple times a day and walking through. And, you know, the only bummer about moving into this office is we don't sit next to them anymore. Mm. That used to be the realest form of feedback because I'm sitting next to a sales rep on a call and I'm listening. This is bobsmith at gmail.com booked a meeting. I'm like, I'm going to hear it for this one. Or you can hear You can learn. So I love that as a piece of advice, which is like so often overlooked. So anyway, you, you get this audit. Yeah, so I see, uh, you know, what we're spending and what we're doing. But I, I ask Emily, and I say, Emily, you know, what are the technologies? Joe Chernoff calls it my shit sandwich. So I always start with something nice, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then there's something horrible in the middle, yeah. and then it ends sort of nice. Yeah. And I do this with performance yeah. reviews. People always know it's coming. Joe is a master of the shit sandwich, <laughs> even though I know it's. He coming. learned it from yeah, the, yeah, the sandwich it's, maker it's himself. Good. <laughs> okay, good. All right, I'll get the sa- I'll get the shit sandwich after this. So I say, Emily, what's really killing it? What's really? Oh, everybody's using this. Everybody's using this. Great. Says, what is being underutilized a little bit? And so she'll open up a little bit. She's a very candid person anyway, and she say, Well, we deployed this a little bit early. We haven't been able to do this. We haven't been able to do this. And so we have to really be able to deploy things and get them going. But we find that the choke point is the sales team. They can mm. only handle so many new things. Marketing can handle a lot more because it's automated and we're used to it. But a salesperson's day can only handle so many new things. I think the thing that people don't understand, and the, the cool thing about like doing marketing here, and we sell marketing software, is for our sales team, we in the marketing team can be the number one buyer, right? And so we can give them real feedback. And I think... The thing that doesn't get understood a lot is it's not about the money. It's about literally look at the 100 other priorities, right? That's what it is. And you can have a nice to have. Maybe this is not a real pain. Like unless it's a burning, burning pain. Like I am behind on leads this month and I want to do X to get there, right? It's really hard to jump to the top of the list. And so it's not that those technologies aren't any good. It's just in the land of 15, 20, 30 other things, how are you going to focus on this one? Exactly right. You know, there's a real danger. Uh, when I was at Eloqua, I always assumed that I knew how marketers bought because my whole team were marketers. They would bring us in sales calls and everything. And now I'm selling to IT. I can't be lazy because I don't have a clue how IT buys. So I had to do the research and talk to IT people and do the personas and do all this stuff. So I think a lot of marketers at MarTech companies, I know you're not one of them, just sort of uh, revert back to their own behavior and they think they know, but things change and every buyer is not the same. So I like the discipline of not being in MarTech anymore. Uh, it's just very cluttered right now. It's, it's a hard market, as you know. The thing I do a lot is I just forward, when I get a good email from a sales rep, even if I don't take the call, I send it to our team. Because I'm like, this is a great email. Here's do you ever buy. take any inbound calls from sales reps? 
Like on a phone? Yeah, like your phone rings. Never. Okay. I will you pick do? it up because start prank calling you, you and I are both <laughs> you and I are both anthropologists. Okay. So when you get an email okay. that's either really good or really bad, yeah. we call it the Hall of Shame yeah. or the Hall of Glory. Yeah, yeah. And I love good ones. I love phone calls too. So I'll get some BDR. Ooh, I never thought of that. Like I never thought of putting a phone call in the swipe file too, right? Oh, it's, it's always an email. I love yeah. that. So uh, so some kid calls me, some sweaty kid, yeah. 20, oh, they reach the CMO. He's like going, he's like, oh my God. And they always want to set up a meeting. And it's I say, of- you don't have to set up a meeting. This is the meeting. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and so you just see what they can do, and I usually say you got so 30 listen, seconds. So listen, Ryan Carden answers his phone. If you're watching at home, I occasionally do. It all we'll depends. Have his number, we'll have his number <laughs> pop up right here in this video. I love that. Yeah, actually, I have picked up the phone a couple times, and when I do, I actually feel like the person on the other end is hoping that I don't answer. They are. They want to leave a message because they have an SLA. So many emails, so many voicemails left. They don't want to talk to you. They're scared to death. That's a broken SLA. It's just number driven. You're going to call me. Uh, the other thing now, though, is like that the local. I've offered a job to a kid who called me once. Because it was a good pitch? So good. And I said, could I have your email? Yeah, I said, send me an email. Yeah. And then I followed up. I tried to make him an offer. I couldn't bring it him It didn't over. work? Yeah, it didn't work. Because he's probably good. He's probably killing it. He's, yeah, he's, he's, killing the only it. One he's making, making a lot of money. He might be the only <laughs> one picking up the phone and making calls. The problem is now, because of the local dial thing, right. the chance, like every, every phone call I get is 617, is 508, is 774. And so I'm like, is this tricking me into thinking it's somebody that I know? Or, But it's so interesting about the sales because. No one responds to emails anymore. It's very unlikely. So I don't know about you, but conversion rates across the board are just down to like nothing, click-throughs mm-hmm. and opens. And then no one's picked up their phone except for obviously me and maybe you now. So how do you reach people? It's really a dilemma for salespeople. And so I think it's a whole new world. And, and this could be the next big wave is how do you get through? How do you really break through the people? Have you thought about that at all? All the time. Okay. What are you thinking about? Like you told me you talked to... A couple CMOs you have in your like inner circle. You guys trade ideas. How do you fix that? So it has to be a highly personal message. Yeah. It has to be related to them. And it can't be like, hey, you went to Notre Dame and so did I. Here's a hat. <laughs> it's right, like, right, like people go to LinkedIn right. and say, oh, he's got a dog. I'll yeah. send him a bag of dog yeah. food. Yeah. It's like, no. That's or, not- or somebody, I've, somebody's had that to me and like, I have no affiliation with X. Like, I don't have no love for that. But, right. Okay, so you just lost points. But yeah. The hard part about that is nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants that advice. Like, because they want it to be like, all right, well, you automate this thing and then you do this thing and you send this thing. But like, the best emails that I have and respond to are people who actually have taken the time. Hey, I watched your video with Brian and at, you know, 15 minutes in, you said this thing. What did you mean by that? I'm like, huh, okay, this person actually did the research. That's the only trick, though, for the future is be real. Be real. Yeah. And you got to do the research and find out and not just be flattering in a sycophant kind of way. So it's got to be sincere yeah. and authentic and everything. Okay. So the reason I want to do this series is I wanted to, like, just hang out and have conversations with CMOs because I think that other people who want to be in this position one day will get interested in it. What is the biggest jump from managing a team, whether you're a director, a manager, a VP, whatever, of you know, five, six, seven, 20 people to making the jump to CMO. What do you think is the biggest thing that people often don't think about or what does the progression have to look like? So it's really two areas. One is, you know, we all grow up in a major. We had to major in demand gen or communication or something. So when you're what CMO- was, What was yours? Uh, mine was demand gen because of Eloqua. Okay. And so that's my major and so it's my comfort zone. I'm really good at conversions and nurturing and scoring and like I can do that. So you could, we could go whiteboard like our funnel at Drift right now and you could be like, mm, you should do Everywhere this. Everywhere I know what's this. going on. Yeah. So it's just like 
very easy for me. Okay. And so I had to get much better at messaging communications, much better at AR, PR, so all these other areas. So to become a CMO, you have to really be you know, multilingual. You're not just speaking one language demand gen, so you have to be able to do it all. That's the first thing. Number two is you have to be a great communicator, up, down, sideways. So there's always the pressure with sales. Uh, the CEO, CFO are always like skeptical classically about what marketing's doing. Uh, you have to communicate with your team to keep them really excited about what they're doing. And then you have to be able to communicate with prospects and customers. So communication is really important. Frequent, transparent, compelling, leadership sort of stuff. So the first point is you have to speak all these languages of marketing and understand that. And then the second is this idea of digging in and being a good communicator. How do you go and do that, right? Like, let's say you are director of demand gen at a company, and, like, you got that thing nailed. Your boss is not likely to say, like, yeah, you know what? Go work on some PR stuff. Like, how do you get that knowledge like, while doing I, I think you'll, you'll hopefully be part of cross-functional teams, some special yeah. projects, or you're part of the leadership team in marketing. And so you may go to the content marketing person and say, hey, I'd like to write a blog post, or I want to work on some things, or how do you think about sharing it socially, or how do you tag a piece of content, or the website is doing this. Like, I've never built a website. Right. Could you make me part of the team Just that's doing the website? curious about all the pieces. Curiosity yeah. is the key. 100%. You know, I always think that the, the real competitive advantage is this idea of continuously changing and evolving and being curious to try new things because things aren't stagnant, yeah. particularly in marketing. Yep, yep. One thing I think is interesting is you still have this peer group, right? Tell me more about like who's in the peer group. You don't have to name their names if you don't want to, but like how do you use them in your role today? Mm-hmm. And I'm asking because I think the one thing that every marketer wants to do is they want to say, hey, Brian, can I pick your brain? Can I get coffee? Can I do this thing? I think for me, the thing that I've learned is the most valuable thing is doing that with other people who are doing the same thing that I am. Right. Um, like I think the first time I met you was at a dinner in Boston with a bunch of other marketing people and I went to that dinner and I was like, I usually think those things can be garbage and I love that one because it felt like 10 people who were all kind of off the record, all sharing the same thing and I walked out of that being like, that guy's dealing with the same thing. She's dealing with this problem. Like It's all related. It's just a different company. It's all related. There, there is a counter-argument that I occasionally like. Like We're in this world of B2B marketing. You're in MarTech. It's a bubble. It's like the, it's little echo chamber, all like this world. Like Phil Schiller at Apple is doing some amazing things. 100%. You know, Lorraine Tuwill is doing unbelievable stuff at Google. There are people doing amazing things. B2C, I think we got to find other examples than just the vendor echo chamber here. That should be the pull quote for this because I think that is, that's how, we, to me, that's how you break through the whole thing you were saying earlier about everybody has a blog, everybody has a podcast, everybody's sending email, conversion rates are lower. If you and I right now said, hey, you know what? Hey, for all you watching this video, our B2B research tells us the best time to send an email is 2.08 p.m. on a Tuesday. And then that's where the opportunity is. Like, right, right. I'm sending an email at Sat- on Saturday night. Right. I'm going to this channel. Or nobody in my industry is doing video, so right. I want to do video. you got to zig when everybody else is zagging. But yeah. if you're listening to the echo chamber, everyone's sort of pulled in the same direction. And there's a lot to be, you know, some of these B2C marketers from big companies are doing some amazing things. I love what Adobe does, you know. So uh, Ann Lunas is a great CMO. I love, uh, you know, Lorraine over at, uh, at Google I love. Uh, there's some really amazing global marketers. Uh, there's a guy named David Edelman at Aetna. He's got an interesting background. He was at um, Digitas. He ran the Boston office of Digitas agency, and then he was at McKinsey writing about digital marketing and transformations, all this stuff. And now he's running marketing. He's CMO of Aetna, an insurance company. What a yawn that is. Like, how exciting and how boring it is. Right. The guy has made it interesting and right. fascinating. At the end of the day, he's a storyteller, like making insurance accessible to people and really tear-jerk stories. He's just done an amazing job there. I think the other thing is understanding people. Like, I think, especially in B2B, we live in this, like, 
I'm in B2B, I'm in the bubble. This is what I gotta do, where like, I can go stand in line to get a coffee, and I see not a single person looking up, and everyone's like this, right? And I can tell you that something's gotta change in marketing, right? Like, right. we don't answer our phones, we don't answer emails, and yet we are on our phones all day. Like, all day. there's just places to observe like that. Do you ever unplug for a while? Do you ever have a way, I don't know about you, I see you're married, like no electronics in bed, and so, I mean your phone, Yes. you know, but do you have certain zones yes. or certain times where you unplug completely? So the best way for me to unplug is I have a one-year-old, and so having a daughter, <laughs> having a baby has forced me to like prioritize, right? Like I tweeted something the other day, it was like having a baby has been like, all right, I'm a super type A person, like before I go to bed, I write my list of things I want to do tomorrow, and I have my to-do list, and I'm going to do this, and then I had a baby. And now it's like, okay, you have one 20 minute window, go. Now do what you do what you're gonna do. So if you're with a <laughs> stroller and the baby and everything, you're not doing this. No, no, no you're no. not doing this. No. Sometimes <laughs> I the am. baby will never know. She'll she, never she, know. he's only one. She I think like the Apple knows something. Steve Jobs knew something, because my she will see my phone and she's like, what is that? We try to give her that. So it's a good question. So I do have some habits. So Number one is no phones in the bedroom. Yeah. My wife and I got like two $5 like digital clocks on right, Amazon. Right, so it's one function, just so alarm. So one function, yeah. just alarm, yeah. which was like I actually needed like 30 minutes to figure out how to make it work, you know, and I was like, I haven't used one of these since I was like 12. And we leave our phones out in the kitchen, so we try to have that routine. I'm trying to do better at, when I'm doing something, going deep and doing it. So like, yeah. I knew that today my big thing, I have two big things, I'm doing a webinar later today and I was gonna interview you. And so I just tried to like say, you know what, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's plenty for a day. Forget yeah. about everything else, go deep with Brian, like yeah. make that valuable and then do a good webinar and then I can go home tonight and, and be good with that. I try to go to the gym in the morning, that's my time to like oh, yeah. be, Morning's good, be yeah. unplugged. Are you one of these like 5 a.m. Yeah. guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just because by default now, like I, I have to do that. It's, it's really, the only time you'd find it's yourself. It's the only yeah. time I find like at night, you know, my daughter goes to bed at seven, so I want to leave here and make sure I can go see her and, you know, give her a bath and go to bed. Yeah. And then, like, I got to go to bed early. So I have, you know, seven to nine to hang out. There's always, there, there's a dinner or an event or something. That time in the morning is, like, my time. Yeah, my time. So um, I get up very early. I just what love What time do you get up? Uh, five o'clock. No so, matter what time you're up until tonight. Like, if you had to go to an event or something, or do you, do you ever give yourself... So like, my team will, they know that Brian does the Cardin two-step. So I always show up at events early and I leave really early. I love that. But I don't tell anyone. Yes. I say I'm going to the bathroom or, oh, there's my friend Dave over there. Dave's not even there. I just sort of, and then I'm asleep by nine That's o'clock. Good. I'm in my pajamas at nine o'clock. I'm good. asleep every night at 9.30. I love that. But I'm all in. Don't tell too many people about that. It's out, there. it's out there, it's out there. Oh, you leave a little bit early too? All the time. So I, I never go to sleep at 11 o'clock, it just won't happen unless I go to a concert. My favorite, do you know Jocko Willink and all the no. Navy? He's this former Navy SEAL. And oh, not big, extreme ownership. Yeah, extreme oh, yeah, ownership, yeah, 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 yeah. He gets up early and everybody always asks him, Jocko, how do you get up early? What's your secret? And he goes, go to bed early. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do between five and the time you get to work? I uh, have a cup of coffee nice. and I read a book. Yep. I uh, don't turn on the computer for a while. I love that. I walk the dog, which is nice. I find that very therapeutic. We have the world's smallest dog. Our landscaper calls it a squirrel on a leash. It's a four-pound dog. So if you're, little... if you're somewhere around Boston at 520 on a, on a Tuesday morning, you might see you with a, with a little Little tiny little thing. It's unbelievable. What do you read? So I try to read more fiction than nonfiction, and I try to read things that are of interest to my children. As a parent, mm. I think one of the really good things that I did was whatever my kids were reading at the time, so they could be reading, you know, J.D. Salinger, they could be of Mice and Men, whatever books they're reading you in read high school, book. I would read that book I at the like same that. time, and we talk about it. So my daughter is now a sommelier, so yeah. she went to college. You have and, twin boys Yeah, identical twin boys and a daughter, yeah. 
So she just graduated college and she wants to be a sommelier. Yeah. So her thesis in college was wine in the divine. Yeah. So uh, wine through different religions over a thousand years. And so uh, she weighs all of 90 pounds. She can drink me under a table. <laughs> so we go out to a restaurant. She never orders wine by the glass. Oh, we'll get a bottle of this to start. I'm thinking, what the hell? It's the two of us. <laughs> so I'm like sipping a glass. She's just <laughs> she knows the industry. That's how she knows the she industry. The she knows her somewhere. wines. And then we start a second bottle, a third bottle. And so she's uh, amazing, unbelievable. And so there's several books about wine now she wants me to read. And also I am taking a wine class as mm. well. So Tuesday nights I go to wine class and we do tasting and everything. So I try to try to do those things. I love that. So you have that curiosity. I mean, it's just like, it's a mindset. You always be learning. I also think you do learn from fiction and from wine things you can apply to marketing. That's what people, I think, miss a lot. Well, part of the fiction is I'd like to get into a story. Yeah. My wife runs sales for her company, and sometimes they'll have, like, the uh, President's Club thing, and I'll, go, I'll be the spouse, and I'll go with her. And I always bring a really great fiction book. And they'll say to my wife, Barb, what's Brian? Is Brian okay? Because I'll be in the corner, like, crying. <laughs> you know, I'm just... My kids say, Dad, you're so emotional. I love these stories. Yeah. And it just takes me to a completely different place. And it uses different separate muscles. The other thing I do to sort of get in a different place is I play the piano almost mm. every night. So my mother was an opera singer, so I love piano. I think people need something different. It could be something physical they yeah. do or something emotional they mm-hmm. do or something literary or artistic. I read, um, I love going back and reading old school marketing books like David Ogilvie. Are you serious? I swear to God, yeah. That's oh my God. All, that's my favorite stuff. I'll show you my desk on the way out. I have all like the old school Classics. ads, classic ads. It's just teaches you everything about people and all the triggers that you need in marketing today are buried in those books from So Ogilvy and uh, his lieutenant at the time, Ken Roman, wrote a great little book called How to Write. Mm-hmm. And it's probably 60 pages mm-hmm. and I still have it. I love that. And uh, I'll never forget my first marketing job because I kept all my marketing textbooks from college. Someone in my marketing team said, Brian, I'd love to read one of your marketing books. You know, So I gave her the book. She never gave it back. I will never lend out a book. Do you no. ever lend out books? They no. just don't come Not back. anymore. It was I, all highlight. I had I my never, notes when I was 18 I never, years old. I never cared about books. Now, I love them. And But there's only select few. If I don't love the book, I put it somewhere else. I want like my desk and at home, I want to have like my books. My books like, so I have a bunch of sales copywriting books and all that stuff. That's my favorite stuff. Have you ever seen a show Cribs? Yeah. It's like these yeah. like very blingy houses. Yeah, of course. My kids when they were eight or nine, they're like watching some it's show. The they take you in the fridge. Like, I got, if I look at my <laughs> vitamin water in the fridge. I, yeah. I got 90 yeah, vitamin yeah, waters. My kids. I'll never forget, we're watching like an episode, and I'm saying, so dad, I said, yes. Yeah. do you notice anything about that house? I said, what? It's just, they have more TVs than books. <laughs> I've never seen a book in any house in Cribs. No. But they got TVs everywhere. Yeah. So it doesn't know? validate the theory that like, you know, if you read, you're gonna make more money and be more <laughs> successful. But I, I brought up Ogilvy because, you know, the, their whole thing was like, at an ad agency, you're paid on your ideas, right? And so his whole, he had all these chapters about like how to come up with better ideas. Right. And he calls it like, unhook your subconscious. And so you have to like, be learning and be stuffing your mind with all this stuff. But it's probably that when, you know, I'm at the gym or you're playing piano, that's Best when ideas. your stuff happens yeah. because you're not actively thinking about right. it. So I always keep a, a three by five card in my pocket. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's very old school. What is that, your to-do list? Uh, no, it's usually some ideas that I get. You can see how much I'm writing during our meeting this morning. Uh, but I get creative ideas throughout the Where day. Because you, you don't have a pen. Where's your I pen? don't have a pen. I don't have okay. a pen right now. But I write things down because yeah. I'm always learning in Me. different spots. Me too. And so my wife knows, like, outside the shower, we have a little uh, hot tub. I've got a place to write things down, like, everywhere. I love that. There's something I get I carry really different a, ideas. I carry a notebook with me, and my wife knows. She always knows what I'm doing. When I'm in the other room and she doesn't hear me, she goes, Dave? I'm like, yeah. She goes, are you writing in your notebook right now? And I'm like, uh-huh. You went silent. Uh-huh. I love the index card thing. And do you ever, do you, will you take action on that? And All like the time. And file it late? Hey, I got to talk to, talk to, you know, um, Lauren about whatever. Nothing gets filed. I have to do it immediately. My biggest fear, and this is my own paranoia, is that I'll forget to follow up on something. Yeah. 
because I always find that a person's character is like, do you do what you say you're going to do? Yeah. So if I say to someone, I'm going to call you back today, I have to call them back. Yeah. And my worst fear is that I'm going to forget to do it. So if you're walking back now and you, you have a thought on the way home, like, i got to f- follow up with that because you'll scribble it on your card. Yeah, scribble it on my that. card. Yeah. I love and that. I'll do it, like, immediately. Can, give me, read me one thing off the card that you can tell me about that you scribbled. One thing is uh, a birthday gift for my wife. I love it. <laughs> so that would be the number one priority. I am so screwed. Is this that all I don't... from today, your note card? Do you start a new note card every day? Uh, yeah, every day I have a new note card. It's like 11 Some... o'clock and your card's already full. Yeah, it's like full of a whole bunch of things. Like... One thing we're doing is we're testing a direct mail piece. You know, we test different direct mail pieces. And I'm always interested. Just like if you get a good email, if I get a direct mail piece, the whole marketing team stands around. It's like I'm giving birth to a baby. And we look at the box. Same. And we see how it goes. And we open it up very, and you know, we see how the corners are. Because you all want them to be like an apple. Everything is gorgeous and everything is a gift. The unveiling of apple The unveiling of product is the same. So we want to see how it all works. Yeah. And do they put a video thing in there? Do they put a thing? Yeah. Is it a bottle of wine? Yeah. Is it a golf club? Uh-huh. Like we're always interested. And so... I got some ideas based on some direct mail like about that. what we could do to improve things. I came into work today. I had a package on my desk. Before I even turned on my laptop or took my stuff out of my backpack, direct mail. I opened up the... It's unbelievable. It's the, I think a lot of markers have figured this out, though. Yeah. Nobody responds to email. Yeah. People aren't returning calls. But direct mail... But there's got to be a... Th- it's got to be math, though, right? There's got to be a threshold of what your deal size is to make sense to do that. Or So we have large deal size, which is really great. So I can spend a lot on, on generating a meeting. So our deal size is 300000 a year and the three-year deal. So almost a million dollars. So you have some fun to play with. So I have some money to play yeah. with. Me to get a meeting. If yeah. I spend a couple thousand bucks with the right decision yeah. maker, everybody's really cool. happy. All right. Well, Brian, I could not do this forever, but I got this This is great, Dave. Thank you very much. It. Thanks Enjoy for doing it. it. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of The Swipe File. I'm having a lot of fun doing this podcast. And so because it's fun for me, I hope it's fun for you. And it would mean the world if you could leave a review. Reviews really help. Uh, And so go leave a review. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Let me know what you liked about the show, didn't like, want to hear more of. And also, if you're not already subscribed, make sure you go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. The show is everywhere that you get your podcast, probably where you're listening right now. But if you want more content like this, if you want to go a layer deeper, join me on Drift Insider. It's drift.com slash insider. We're teaching courses, we're sharing videos, and we have exclusive content for people just like you in marketing that we do not share publicly. So go and check it out, drift.com slash insider.